that story uh, is a sermon in itself, so to say anything else feels a little redundant, but if you'll indulge me this morning, I'd like you to try to picture something. The historians Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan tell us that every year before the Passover, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, would march from Caesarea Maritima on the uh, port city on the sea into Jerusalem from the west. He would march in at the head of a column of Roman cavalry and foot soldiers arrayed in full battle attire with flags flying. The column would be headed by Pilate himself astride an enormous war horse riding behind a golden eagle on a pole, symbol of the power of the Roman Empire. It was the full might of the empire on display. And it was meant to make an impression. The feast of the Passover celebrated Israelite deliverance from foreign oppression and it tended to give the people of Jerusalem big ideas to make them think that they might be delivered from Rome as well. And so Pontius Pilate would make this annual show of force. He would ride in from Caesarea to the garrison near the Temple Mount where he would closely supervise the Passover festivities. So hold on to your mental picture of that awesome display of power the representative of the empire that ruled the known world, backed by the greatest army then in existence, riding into Jerusalem from the west. Hold on to your picture of that military parade. And then picture Jesus' entry into Jerusalem from the east. My cardinal directions are mixed up, but west, east. I tend to picture something pretty spectacular. Jesus, humble but with regal bearing, Riding down the Mount of Olives and up into Jerusalem, thousands of people surrounding him, climbing into trees so that they could catch a glimpse of him, waving their palm leaves and shouting Hosanna. But you'll notice that's not actually what Luke describes. Jesus was riding a donkey. This was the animal of a peasant. They used them to pull plows and carts. They were a symbol of poverty, humility, They do not enjoy carrying people. They make that very clear. They're bulky and ill-tempered. Most of them are small enough that if you're riding one, your feet touch the ground on either side. One of the disciples probably had to drag the donkey down the hill into Jerusalem. Luke also says that people threw down their cloaks before him as you would for a king. But it doesn't really tell us how many people were talking. I've always pictured enormous crowds, but what Luke describes is the whole multitude of disciples. Those are the ones that were praising Jesus, not the people of the city. 150 people, 300 if we're being generous, a tiny group. So picture those two very different parades, one from the west depicting the greatest power the world has ever known. And from the east, a marginal religious figure surrounded by a small group of uneducated peasants, tax collectors, and prostitutes. Two different parades. Jesus had to be aware of the contrast. In fact, he probably set it up that way. Luke tells us that he sent one of his disciples in advance to get a donkey. 
was meant to be a contrast, was meant to set up a choice, a choice for the people of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, and a choice for us as we enter Holy Week today. On the one hand, we can choose to fall in with the Roman parade. The Romans were the greatest power the world had ever seen. For those of you that are Monty Python fans, other than public health, sanitation, roads, and peace, what have the Romans done for us lately? (laughs) But they were in charge. Their values, their practices, the systems they set up, it worked. That was the power that ruled the world. And we can choose to fall in with today's equivalent of the Roman parade. We can choose to live by the values of the world around us. Think about what some of those unexpressed values of our culture are. The assumptions that sort of live under the surface. Your worth as a human being is determined by how much money you make, by what your house looks like, by how successful your children are. If we fail, we are less lovable, we're less valuable. Being attractive, athletic, thin, and successful makes us more worthy of love. Of course, we never say these things aloud, but they're sort of the water we swim in. They're the assumptions of our culture. They're the Roman parade. And in our heart of hearts, we sometimes buy into it. We do think people that are less successful, people who are marginal and difficult, matter less. We pursue success even at a very high cost to ourselves and to others. We don't mean to. We get caught up. I do it all the time without even realizing it. If you didn't get a chance to read Reverend Chris's eConnect note last week, I recommend it to you because he talks about the ways that we're sort of borne away by forces outside our control. Our calendars take over, and before we know it, we are running as fast as we can to, kick up, to pick up, and we're in the Roman parade. But Chris reminds us that we do have choices in how we live. We can step off the treadmill for a moment because there is an alternative to the Roman parade. We can choose to follow Jesus. From the outside, it looks pretty pitiful. The donkey, the ragged band of followers, the doomed leader. But Jesus's parade represents a different set of values, a radically rebellious and countercultural way of living. Joining this parade means believing, really believing, that our value does not come from how much we get done. It has nothing to do with how successful we are. It comes from the fact that we are loved by God. Joining in that parade means that believing that virtue can most often be found in those that are left out, those that are broken, difficult, sick, mentally ill. It means seeking out those people. Our common sense tells us that presidents, business leaders, geniuses, innovators, that these are the people in charge. Following Jesus means believing against all evidence that those hierarchies mean nothing ultimately. Believing against all evidence that in the end, the weak, the servants, the oppressed will inherit the earth. It's a crazy choice. It's a, oh, it's a bird. It's a countercultural choice 
And from the outside, it seems like it makes no sense. Because today, our gospel ends with Pilate safe and happy in his fortress and his palace, and Jesus dead in the tomb. But we know that that's not where the parade ends. We choose to keep following Jesus. We go with him to the cross, but we also follow him past the cross to the resurrection. There are two parades, and every day we can get caught up in one, or we can make a conscious choice to join the other. What would it look like to step away from what's normal and from what's expected to join in Jesus' parade today? What would it mean for us, for all of us, to resist being caught up and carried away by the rat race and to instead choose the way of radical, self-giving love? Because now, 2,000 years later, we know where both of those parades end. You can buy tickets to go and see Roman ruins, but Christ's parade ends here because Christ still lives. Amen.